What's in the box? What's in the fucking box? What's in the fucking box? It's another movie from the 90s, or rather, one of its squeakquels. Whoa, it's What's in the Box Weekly with a special weekly correspondent episode of all about the new movie, Matrix Revolutions. It's actually a legacy squeakquel. <laughs> it's a legacy squeakquel. <laughs> mm. it's, a, it's a legacy squeakquel about whether or not legacy squeakquels should exist. Yes, among other things. In part. Yeah. Yeah, so we're a little late to the game because uh, we made the ultimately successful decision to try to get five people to watch all the Matrix movies together. Yes. Uh, and we were able to do that without, at least for me, without being spoiled. Yeah. Uh, on, although I'm not sure what you would spoil uh, other than going into an in-depth discussion like explanation of what the movie is about, but there's so much, it's not like there's a thing that happens. There's a million things that happen. Yeah. I think I'd gotten some spoilers on like, um, I guess we should say, we should cordon this off and say, we are going to talk spoiler full about this movie. Um, but it's not all that relevant. Like I, I had been spoiled on, um, Neil Patrick Harris and like how he's kind of the big bad. Um, Okay analyst guy but it, it ultimately like doesn't really matter and like it doesn't nope. really change my enjoyment of the movie at all uh yeah i mean i can imagine that i enjoyed it a lot okay here, here's yeah. we did i don't think you and i talked much about this mm-hmm. right after because there were five people there five people uh did you enjoy the movie did you like this movie i did yeah i on letterboxd i, I rated it a little I gave it four stars. I think the two Matrix sequels I gave four and a half. Um, mm. I Did th- you give Matrix one five? Yeah. Um, and I, I did feel a little... Oh, I might have given it four and a half. I, no, I think I gave it five, just out of like consideration of how it's still the most like jaw-dropping and groundbreaking movie, yep. action movie of the last 30 years. And... Uh, was like so massively influential and still is just so effortlessly watchable. You could just like put it on and just like watch it. You, you could do that with a movie. You could put on a movie and just watch it. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, uh, kind of like Terminator 2. <laughs> I used to, for, for a couple years there, we, were, we would go to my uh, great aunt's house who had satellite TV when none of the rest of us had lowly cable or anything. And we would watch every Thanksgiving Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Like video on demand? Uh, no, they would just be showing it, just, it, I think. Yeah, like on TNT or something. Yeah, shit. So one of those like movie networks <laughs> or Showtime or like yeah. one of those premium ones. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I ever brought that movie to the box, but I didn't like it very well. Which is so funny because that's the one that's all canonized. I mm. thought the first Terminator was way better. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. But that's not why we called you here today. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So, wh- uh, yeah, wh- I think why I it the four stars. Uh, half star less than the sequels? I think it. Mm, I think it's one of those things where I think it will. I'll need to like watch it again and maybe like spend a little bit more time with it to appreciate it some more. Which ultimately is what I had to do with the Matrix sequels, but then there's a the confounding factor of I was like 
seven, 18 or 19 when they came out. And so I was obviously yep. uh, a little unevolved little gerbil that didn't know it's ass from a hole in the ground. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, uh, I had a heart. I, I still didn't know what happened in the movie. There's a lot like that uh-huh. doesn't really track on a plot level. And I feel like the there's a heist sequence that is a lot. It's kind of bonkers. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> it it's it's simultaneously like a little bit overstuffed but also like clipped too short in places. Um and I think when I was rewatching the sequels, that oh, sorry, 2 and 3 of the series rather. Um I thought they were fairly easy to follow. I mean, not as easy to follow as the Matrix. And they're more, they have like, are trying to do more interesting things with narrative and ideas and stuff. Um, but it, it wasn't as like impenetrable as so many people had made it out to be. Yep. Um, and this movie, I feel like, was not quite as much philosophically uh, impenetrable, although I did feel a little bit of that. Um, it was more like plot level impenetrable. I was like, so why is he doing this? And like, what's what's who's that and why and where'd he go (laughs) those kinds of questions just like basic keeping track of characters and understanding Mm -hmm. why they're doing what they're doing kind of stuff exactly yeah um yeah but uh yeah and and i also felt like sometimes some of the like ideas and stuff were a little bit muddled um or at least like what's a muddled idea I wasn't like super clear on um, them. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I guess it would have been some some stuff in the first half. Um, I mean, one thing that the movie is has been accused of is um, portraying mental health care as kind of a uh, as a palliative designed to help you fit into this awful society that we have. Um, and like being very negative towards mental health care because it turns out that Neo's analyst, his psychopharmacologist or psychiatrist or whatever he is, played by Neil Patrick Harris, he's been feeding him blue pills and his talk therapy is like essentially designed to gaslight him into being unhappy and not being with Trinity. Um, yeah, I guess also just like some of the the conceptual and thematic stuff they're trying to work through with Neo and Trinity, I don't know if I quite got some of that felt a little muddled. Like, is it that them two together was the one? Was there never a the one? Was she the one? Um, is it is it just them two? Like, oh, here's a perfect example of something that I thought was very unclear in the movie. For some reason, this new Matrix, the entire reason exists, the entire reason it works is because it keeps Neo and Trinity apart. And somehow that, like, generates the energy or, like, the angst that fuels... The major, it was like very unclear. Like, why was that was so important? To be clear, like, or to be fair, the humans powering the machines has always been the least logical aspect of. <laughs> That's a very good point of the Matrix mm-hmm. story. I mean, it's basic laws of thermodynamics shit. Like, yeah, I think they. Well, I think they throw in a quick little line. That humans are batteries mixed with a little bit of fusion. I think they right. say fusion Some once. Some form of fusion. The, <laughs> a form of fusion. A form of fusion. You're right. You're right. Yeah, they they do try to like yeah. wallpaper it over a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and what stronger fusion is there than repressed desire and love? 
it's kind of anti-fusion in a way. <laughs> um, I kind of, I appreciated, I think it's sweaty. Yeah. But um, I think the, I think what it's trying to say is that, um, you know, the Matrix is dealing with, with scarcity uh-huh. and it's trying to figure out how to make things run on time when it doesn't have all the resources that it needs. And I think it's talking about how systems of control, um, when they're dominant and then when, uh, they serve, you know, the dominant people, uh, Mm -hmm. the dominant culture. And then eventually when they start to lose some of their power, those systems, they start to, they start to slowly pick off, uh, the people that have been privileged before. And they start to like put more pressure on them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like, there's something there about, uh, you know, the analysts he's, he's saying actually Emily Vanderwerf has a great article about this on Vox that oh. I read. Um, you should go check that I out. I've been reading her for you years. and She's everyone so who's reading. Yeah. But, uh, she, she acknowledges the, the two different, two different possible reads, uh-huh. um, of the analyst character. And one of them being the really, you know, cynical, kind of right. like therapy's bullshit kind of read. Mm-hmm. And uh the other one is just like it's about it's about forms forms of control. And it makes sense that right. the form of control, the system of control, uh for a um you know 2021, 20, uh, 2022 audience is is about you know like the analyst is saying like essentially saying you're right, the matrix the matrix does suck. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the way you're responding is really reasonable and you shouldn't be trying to stop respond in, you know, by being dissatisfied. Like, um, you had trauma, you know, like you're, you're, you're triggered and it makes sense that you are, it's this, um, kind of like sleight of hand game, uh, that capitalism does with us (laughs) to Mm -hmm. make us feel like, um, it, it tries to pander to us, uh, and uh, I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's like this is a stretch, but it's like the pizza party as opposed to a raise, you know, like. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> or like that level of maybe that's not the best analogy, but um, it's maybe a better analogy is like a nonprofit or a co- or a company or a startup being like, well, we're like a family here. You know, yeah. we work hard and we play hard. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like if that you really of- believed in the mission, you would work for eleven dollars an hour. Right. And it's yeah. this idea that like the suffering is inevitable and necessary and um being normative about abuse hmm. um about suffering that's a result of abuse, but instead saying that's just sort of the way things are and that the brave thing is to um acknowledge it and to feel it and mm-hmm. and then to move on. Um so, so I, I kind so, of appreciated that read, but I, I do mm-hmm. acknowledge that, you know having a therapist bad guy is like yeah a little it made me feel a certain kind of way about it yeah so so two quick two quick things when i was trying to search for the article i kept spelling uh matrix's i don't know i guess you pronounce it like matois like i put an o before the i x <laughs> and i was like well that's very french like matois and so i think we have to pronounce it as matois for the rest of this episode matois matois (laughs) and uh second is that the title of emily vanderwerf's article about the new matrix the new matois movie is uh too many movies right now are quote about trauma the matois resurrections actually does the work yeah 
And then the sub the subheading is the Matois Resurrection's take on trauma therapy is more nuanced than it seems at first. So I think that's a, I mean, that's more, I'm still obviously trying to internalize some of those ideas that I read in that article. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I, um, I agree. Like I get what the matrix is trying to do, <laughs> what the writers of the matrix are trying to do in right. the, in that regard, what they're, they're talking about. What are the newest systems of control? Um, yeah. Uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, <laughs> the control being like a drab cubicle filled office building. Instead, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, people are playing ping pong right. and and spouting bullshit, but doing it with smiles on their face, mm-hmm. on their faces. Uh, yeah, I felt more kind of updated and especially like Agent Smith, the way that he is... Um, uh exerting control in this is way different and it's sort of pandering and um mm-hmm. and uh not just fascist on its face yeah but he's also kind of that was another thing that i felt was kind of muddled in the movie like he wasn't it was kind of on he, he was like trapped in the ma- in the matrix the matois with neo in the, like the art the analyst had like trapped them both in there together and he did not remember who he was until somehow Neo freed him. I wasn't clear how that happened or why. And then there was the bit about Morpheus, how Morpheus had started off as like being an amalgamation of Morpheus and Smith inside of like a sub matois that Thomas Anderson had created or something. It was like, there's a lot of very confusing stuff like that, where it's like, you're obviously trying to go for something thematic here that like Neo and yeah. Smith are twinned. And then when you when Neo begins to like break himself out, that also frees Smith. You're clearly going for something th- thematic, but uh, it's very unclear like what it is you're going for, and it doesn't really feel like you played it out in the story itself in a way that really made sense. If that makes if sure, that's clear. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I think some of those basic logic things of like character motivations and why events are happening mm-hmm. are less logical than in one, two or three. Right. Or less. They, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> They're more of a stretch. Yeah. Or maybe I just need to like rewatch it with subtitles on and I kind of want to rewatch it too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give that another listen. 2022. Uh, let we'll name the year ourselves. 20, uh, uh, 2020 review. And it's all about having good vision while you rewatch a bunch of movies you've seen before. There, we just went up the McElroy's. <laughs> there, take that. Take that. What did they decide on again? 20 Rendezvous, I think. Uh, but I forgot what the and then subtitle was. what was the, su- the subtitle? Forgot. They went through so many. Uh, oh, uh, something like, fancy takes flight. Was, <laughs> oh, was it that one? I think that's what they ended up with. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Oh, because it's, like it's like the prom night theme. Yeah. Um, (laughs) or no it's a night to remember I think 2022 a night to remember (laughs) which is funny yeah Um, yeah so I yeah I think I was a little bit lost with um, some of that stuff Um, yeah but it's it's also like that had always kind of bothered me about the the two the two and three the the sort of twinned movies Um, I had uh, the way they handled Smith had always like kind of bothered me because I didn't find him that compelling of a villain. And it wasn't until I saw two and three twice in one year that I was like, you know what? This actually kind of 
makes a lot of thematic and conceptual sense. Like Smith is, uh, he is turned into the thing he hates the most. In the first movie, he has a very memorable speech about how humanity is a virus. And then he literally becomes a virus. Um, and he hated humanity for how much of a virus it was. And, um, also just like the way he twins with Neo and how Smith kind of represents the path that Neo could go on or might have gone on if Neo were a standard, like the chosen one from a lot of stories. Um, you know, just like going on a rampage and (laughs) exterminating people he doesn't like or whatever. Anyway, so all that to say, like, I eventually came around to thinking, okay, I I like what they did with Smith in two and three. It just took me a while to get there. And I I think it's possible I might get there with some of this stuff in the fourth movie. Yeah. 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 I mean, it certainly took me more than one watch of two and three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To Um, uh, get a lot of things. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, there was a lot of things the movie did well. It introduced compelling new characters, which a lot of Lega squeakles really struggle to do. Uh, they're all just like, so hampered by the baggage of the, uh, like, you know, the star, the star Wars prequel trilogy, for instance, um, did not have very compelling characters. And a lot of that was because they couldn't decide who the characters were and what they were about and what they were doing at any given moment. And they would keep changing their minds. Uh, Finn's like a tra- traumatized uh, stormtrooper who has to confront uh, his trauma. No, wait, he's just kind of a background character. Uh, <laughs> so disappointing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I liked... They, they were very judicious about how many of the old people they brought back. Um. And Not so, very many. Yeah, it was... Uh, Neo, Trinity, Niobe. Niobe. Um, is that it? Oh, the Merovingian. Yeah. I could not understand a fucking word that guy said at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, like, the new characters, they introduce, like, Bugs and Lexi, like, have a lot of personality and a lot of uh, presence, even though they're at times are not given all that much to do. And they're, they kind of like slot into like rebellious ship captain who goes rogue to save the universe, like that kind of archetype. Um, but yeah, I, I like, well, I think most of all, I don't think there has ever been a big budget movie series that has been so committed to challenging and expanding and reinventing itself. Yeah. And so in that way, it's another trans allegory. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I, I can't... Th- has there... I can't... I mean, of the Lego squeakles I've seen, I have not seen one that actually has thoughts about the original material. Really. I feel like... Beyond just, like, reverence and nostalgia. I feel like uh, episode eight of Star Wars kind of attempts some of okay. that. No, you're right, you're right, yeah. And then there's a huge cultural backlash, yeah. and then they undo everything. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the that's yeah that's the good comparison to make. I don't. But there's even some undoing within that movie too. Yeah, it's true. You know, like they burn the Jedi tree, but then they save the Jedi texts. Yeah, you know that's in that movie. Yes. Um. And yeah, but I think the biggest the biggest thing that it was cool about that movie was uh, when Kylo Ren says, "I know the truth about your parents." 
they were nobody. They mm-hmm. sold you into slavery. Like they're not important. They're they're not Star Wars characters. Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it was really really cool mm-hmm. until the next movie when it was revealed that their parents are Palpatine's kids. <laughs> Somehow Palpatine has returned. Somehow Palpatine yeah. has had sex. Palpatine fucks. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm getting so hard. Let the hate flow through you. Also, the cum. <laughs> oh, Jesus! Christ. Palpatine's a p- power bottom. <laughs> I mean, gave birth to them. Oh shit! It's unhinged. Sorry. Yeah, um, I, mean, I yeah, I can't I think it. of any other sequel or Lego sequel that really does that. Um, it's certainly not like yeah. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or Super Not. No, Super Not. Like, I mean, I guess I didn't see like any of the Superman movies, but I really doubt that they did any of that. Um. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that maybe the close, maybe the closest thing would be the spi- the newest Spider-Man series, um, and its relationship with the Spider-Man movies and comics that have been told before it. Ah, now that's a comparison that David Ehrlich, uh, the movie critic, made in his review of the Matrix Revolutions. He put it quite strongly. Resurrections. Uh, yeah, sorry, and I sorry, I should have said Matois. Um, David Ehrlich, it's. Uh, he says, it's fitting, maybe even fate, that Spider-Man No Way Home should be the biggest and virtually only movie in the world on the week that the Matois Resurrections is released. Both are mega-budget meta-sequels that feed on our collective familiarity with their respective franchises. One is a poison, the other is its, an- is its antidote. <laughs> yeah, so he did not like the Spider-Man movie. Maybe I'll talk about that next week. I had mm, some thoughts I would be it. interested in hearing but, your thoughts. Yeah, they're not... Some of it is positive. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you uh, loved it. Here, here's how I... Here's my experience watching The Matrix Resurrections. Uh, I kept thinking while I was watching it and after I was watching it, like, how can I, like, judge this movie on its own merits? Like, this movie is so in conversation with itself and in conversation with its own existence... Uh, mm-hmm. And whether or not that it's so existential, like literally, like right. the movie's talking about why it exists mm-hmm. or not. Um, and literally, it says in the movie, and apparently, this is what really happened, or a version of this is what really happened. Uh, mm-hmm. It says in the movie, like, you know, uh, the they're going to make a new Matrix with or without us. They specifically <laughs> um, say Warner Brothers is going to make a new Yeah, Matrix. Warner Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love how blatant they are about it it's so great so bitter and yeah <laughs> cynical <laughs> um and so yeah like in that vein like the moment that line was said i was just like oh this this movie is like it's it wants to be seen as uh a movie that's saying okay if we were gonna do this this is what we have to say mm-hmm. um but it's not a movie that maybe would have existed unprompted um yes i think that's correct and i think that's a really interesting way to make a movie uh yeah (laughs) to like take an opportunity that's essentially been forced on you and be like okay what can i do with this that's interesting rather than just like a nostalgia dump yeah uh and what i appreciated in this is that i feel like this is 
I feel like it was a movie about, I said, I think I said this during the movie or afterwards. I feel like this is a movie about someone who made the matrix made the biggest budget trans allegory that's ever existed. As far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then realized they were trans, uh, and, and then came out. I'm, I'm, assu- I think that that is the order that things happened. I'm, I'm, there might be more subtlety in, in that, but I, I, th- just a point of correction. I, that was when I was rewatching the matrix, Matois, I was like, mm. I, I was curious if the Wachowskis were consciously making it as a trans allegory. And yeah, I think Lana in an interview said that, yes, they were consciously aware that they felt this way and that this movie was kind of an allegory for that. Um, Interesting. It is a bit reductive to call it just an allegory, but yeah, it's, it's right. It works as an allegory, I should say. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I like that it's about, you know, artistic ownership. Um, mm-hmm especially when you make something that's really, really special to you and then it gets sort of used against you or cheapened. Mm -hmm. And it says that in the text of the movie too. Right. Um, But, uh, and I might, again, I might be reading into the, all of this and like, I don't know how everything went down, but I know that there were two people who were referred to as brothers that are now sisters and they came out after, I don't know when exactly Lana came out, uh, but the I, I believe it was after all the Matrix movies, six or seven, I think. But yeah, okay, so well after the, all the Matois movies. Yeah, and then um, and then Lily even more recently, mm-hmm. and uh, it felt like in the movie it was about a person coming to terms with the thing that they did and deciding to take that liberation story that they wrote and apply it to their own lives. And then waiting for the person who matters most to them and hoping that the person who matters most to them is also going to take that story and apply it to their lives. And, uh, yeah, uh, I thought that was, I don't know how else I'm supposed to take that. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. Neo realizing the matrix is about me and then Trinity realizing, yeah, the matrix actually is about me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and like, I, I feel like that's supposed to be, I don't know, Lana and Lily, real coming to terms with that and like you know having life imitate art mm-hmm. those imitating life um and i just thought that story was like really sweet and touching mm-hmm. and hopeful and uh their victory in the end is so satisfying and it i involves lo- the literal heist of a body and if if uh like transitioning is not a heist of a body i don't know what is <laughs> and i I never would have guessed that the answer would be, I mean, even in the third movie, that the answer would be the Matrix is going to continue to exist and the machines are going to continue to exist. Uh, And this takes it a step further uh, where I also wouldn't have guessed this ending in Matrix 4, which is the Matrix is going to keep existing, but we are now going to take control of it. And Mm -hmm. we're going to take control of your system as opposed to just... uh, leaving it because there are people in it that need us. Yeah. And I thought that that was, uh, really great and mm-hmm. really, um, yeah. Uh, 
at, at times they talk about like the us the us and them mm-hmm. um nature like they talk about that that stuff a lot in this movie yeah the, and the us changed because now they also have machines and programs working with them which is super cool yeah interesting which is so cool. And those yeah. like robots and programs are like so fun. Mm-hmm. And where the Sentinels were like creepy, these ones are like like giant butterflies. Beautiful. Yeah. And cute. And, and like and bulbous like, and like tubby yeah. and <laughs> big chunguses. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, here's what I'll say mm-hmm. Alok Vade Menon, who's this uh, non binary activist and poet and speaker um they were on this interview they they were interviewed for the man enough podcast which i only i only downloaded that episode i will not listen to the man enough podcast even though i'm sure it's doing great work uh (laughs) but alok was interviewed on that podcast and uh one of the interviewers said like you know what do you need from us men or us cis people in general uh, to support you and to help you. And a locus, a non-binary, uh, AMAB, uh, I'm assuming I, yeah, I think they have specifically said that and, mm-hmm. and they certainly appear to be, um, but they said, um, you're asking the wrong question. Uh, what can you do for me? Uh, they're like, I don't, I'm at the point now where I have emancipated myself from needing your approval. Um, but mm. I'm really convinced that that our salvation and that our liberation is tied up in each other and that I have something and that other trans and non-binary and gender um, non-conforming people, uh, there's something that we have um, that you need. Um, and yeah, mm. uh, they that specifically reminds me of a movie said, series, Cameron. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they they specifically said I'm non-binary in the sense that I am neither man or woman, but I am also non-binary in that I'm trying to tear down the binary of us and them, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was a, a very snappy little way of talking about e- when when conservative people are talking about uh, how the sanctity of marriage is being threatened. Mm-hmm. And there's a a common queer line of rhetoric that I understand and I respect that says, you should just let us do what we want to do. We're not hurting you. Um, But the truth is that heteronormativity, uh, straight culture, can only exist. and, And I don't just mean straight relationships, but I mean everything that comes with it, all of the rites of passage, all of the coercion and uh everything it can only exist yeah the hegemony that can only exist if queerness is stomped out um or put in as small of a box and marginalized as much as possible Mm -hmm. but yeah like if you know (laughs) if you're in a straight if you're in a straight marriage straight monogamous marriage you know and you're unhappy and you don't like it and then you see some queer people thriving in their fucking polycule or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't tell what gender they were assigned. Uh, and they're happier than you. It's a fucking <laughs> threat. And yes. it is. Yeah. It is an, an indictment mm-hmm. of like the system that you subscribe to. And you're like, well, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. 
Putting uh, my head down. It's super destabilizing. And uh, yeah, I feel like, yeah, like that's what kind of what the this movie series is, is about um, mm-hmm. and why the story went there in this fourth movie is they're they're saying like we are out to get you <laughs> <laughs> like this is a, this is a war and we are trying to like convert you uh, and a full frontal assault on the sanctity yeah, of marriage I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I thought it was cool yeah. I really appreciated those elements of the movie. Um, yeah. I think it also really opens up the movie for really interesting stuff they could do in the sequels. Because now, if Neo and Trinity are taking over the system, the Matois, um, what's that going to look like? And if the Matois is going to still be all around, like, what are what are the ethics in people consenting to be in it? Can they, like come in and out yep. at will is it just going to be like a second life sort of playground like yeah you, you, and then like you get to the in- inherent um problems of any s- system of power um so if if there's just two people you know running everything for everybody and they're the only ones with the power to change things like that's not great um so i feel like there's a lot of really meaty stuff they could dig into with that like I, we, we've seen fiction, and I think reality seems to be heading that way also, where the planet is dying, and I think I'm thinking of Ready Player One. Um, the planet is dying, and we might be facing a future where we're just kind of locked away in these like uh, shipping container places, and just spending all of our lives like in the virtual world. And Mark Zuckerberg would love that. He'd love if if meta life were uh, were what we were all doing, and we've seen a lot of like fiction that um, has that idea or is alarmist about that idea. I think Black Mirror has some like alarmist episodes that are similar about that, but I don't think we've really seen anyone seriously engage with it in the ways that I think Lana Wachowski and her collaborators could. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would love to see a Matrix Five. I have so much trust in. Let's see, it was it was Lana directed and uh, wrote uh, was or had a writing credit. Uh, David Mitchell, I think, who wrote Cloud At- Atlas, was also okay. Cool. Um, written by yeah, and then Alexander Hemman, um, who's a no- a Bosnian American novelist. Huh. Right on. Yeah. Um, on a filmmaking level, I <laughs> I feel like the Wachowskis at a certain point just just they like embraced anti cool. This is not a movie that is trying to be cool or look cool. <laughs> they 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 repudiated the muddy palette of cyberpunk uh, original trilogy Matrix Matois movies, and they've gone on board with their bright, colorful, saturated. Uh, cinematography and approach. Not it's as said. great. It's great. <laughs> I, it looks great. I like it. A lot of people have been saying it looks bad or it looks like a soap opera. I think that's stupid. <laughs> and I, someone used the word in one of the, I think it's on Letterboxd, one of the reviews about the fourth Matois movie. They used the word melodrama. And I was like, huh. 
that's kind of what the Wachowskis, I mean, here I am like basing this off of, I think Speed Racer is the only movie I've seen past uh, V for Vendetta, which was like kind of a Wachowskis movie. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like there's a pretty clean break with Speed Racer and then like the Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending, like the stuff that comes after feels like it's it's kind of melodrama but it's earned melodrama like they are engaging with and um uh engendering like emotions in their audience and yeah you know sometimes sometimes life makes you cry sometimes life is very colorful you know like it's it's not more prestigious it's not more literary to be dark and dreary all the time and uh you know, melodrama kind of has a pejorative tinge to it, but I think that's not necessarily earned because real life is often extremely melodramatic. Yeah, I think something that a way a way I've thought about evaluation of stories is pe- people like to invoke the authority of this is bad acting or good acting, or this is bad writing or good writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I often think that that's not actually what they're talking about. Right. Uh, I feel like what people are actually talking about is I don't want this. Yes. That's a great point to make. I think. Yeah. Like I, when, when someone says something shitty or confusing to me in person, I don't say, like that's this bad rhetoric. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe I would tell them, but I wouldn't say like, this is unreasonable. This doesn't happen. Right. It happens <laughs> constantly. Yes. Um, I have children <laughs> 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 and, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm often a perpetrator of, you know, bad writing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, yeah. And, and acting and like, not, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like often what people are, are really saying is, this isn't the story I want to see, or I'm annoyed at, in a, at these characters, or at uh, I, I'm annoyed at these characters in a way that doesn't invest me in the movie and makes me want to stop watching the movie. You know, I feel like a lot of the backlash against the Last Jedi was exactly that: people couching things in very objective terms, bad storytelling, bad writing, uh, but like you say, they were just basically saying i don't want this i don't want this to be the story yeah and which is like also i think it can be valid valid yeah it's not yeah. invalidating to say that you know that it's not something you want there are tons of things i don't want you know i'm not interested in bridgerton at all <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah uh yeah I I do think that people's desires and the, whether or not they are in touch with their desires, I judge people on those <laughs> things to various extents, especially yes. the latter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. I'm you suspicious can... when, and I don't understand. I have a hard time relating to people when they don't want certain things, um, like flavorful food, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like when I see like I don't know a person who. Uh, is like all shredded up mm. and I, and they talk about their diet and it's just like a lot of boiled chicken and <laughs> or just like powders. Broccoli and <laughs> powders. I have my morning you know, powders. It's like, I've got my afternoon powders. <laughs> I've got my potions in the evening. 
Yeah, and it's like I have a, I have a really hard time, yeah, believing <laughs> believing these that these people are experiencing pleasure. Yeah, and I don't understand uh, why they're making the decisions that they're making, uh, or if they're if they should be, and maybe they should be making more pleasure oriented decisions. Mm-hmm. But maybe some maybe they would say the same thing about me and the way I'm living um, because. Maybe it gives them a lot of pleasure to have shredded lettuce for a, a torso. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, one more thing I want to say about Matrix, and we should probably do our real show. Yeah. But um, some people have been like complaining and talking about how uh, the action isn't as good. Mm-hmm. That was something I mentioned as well. I I do agree that the I really missed Kung Fu. Like, yeah. I wanted to see Wuxia sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they didn't bring Yuan Wuping back, who not only, yeah. like, was the fight choreographer, but directed a lot of incredible movies, like The Legend of the Drunken Master. Ugh. Which is so good. I want to watch that again. Me watch too. Watched that a couple years ago. 2020 review, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Film rewatch party. I also more or less accept that it isn't as good and that that's not the point. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, I think there are some scenes like the dojo scene, I think rips ass maybe arguably didn't need to be there, but I think it could have been better if they're going to do it. Cause it just wasn't nearly as powerful as the original dojo scene. I thought that was fairly well executed. I mean, there it's not constant cuts. Powerful. Yeah. It's a lot of it had to, I feel like a lot of the, the, the action sequences lost a lot of impact because a, the music was like not very good at all, um, and B, the editing was not as good as the original trilogy. Yep, I agree with both of those. Yeah, both of those things. The music in the in the first three movies is incredible the entire time, basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like yeah. ah, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there were only hints of those like hor- horn clusters that I love so much. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, the thing that I did like, action-wise, um, I thought the motorcycle chase was cool. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really visually engaging. It turned and, into a zombie uh, movie there for a minute, which was kind of yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. We've and had it was werewolves horrifying and vampires, and, and now we have zombies in the Matois. Yeah, I, I thought it was cool. I really enjoyed it. I was invested. And I also thought that the Tokyo train fight scene was really cool it was really cool it was very hard yeah. to process or keep track of what was happening but i think that was kind of the point at least it's kind extent. of a speed racery looking yeah. it was the most speed racer that the movie went yes so true those scenes were awesome i wasn't crazy about the dojo scene i wasn't crazy about the agent smith fight yeah um, yeah it just wasn't nearly as interesting uh yeah I was a little bit bummed by that. I, I would have liked a little bit more. Like, yeah, just like in, in... Well, I barely liked any of the action in the third movie. Uh, but in the second movie, hmm. the uh, in, in Reloaded, the stairwell scene in the Merovingians mm-hmm. uh, house, um, that huge fight scene, I think is delightful i Mm -hmm. think it's really cool and the freeway scene is incredible yeah and then obviously everything in the first movie is (laughs) is amazing and groundbreaking so yeah Um, i missed i i could have used a little more of that but i also feel like it kind of seems like 
Lana Wachowski is like kind of over, over yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, and, like doesn't care. Anymore. I mean, obviously Lily and is because she's just off working on work in progress, which is a fantastic <laughs> show, but not. I still need to check that out. Similar to the Matois. Um, couple very quick hits. Uh, very good acting work from uh, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah. Great to see an expanded em- emotional palette for them to work with for their characters. They were often like pretty flat affect in the first three movies. Um, there's a lot much sillier comedy than the first the original trilogy ever went to there's a lot of like yeah uh like slapstick dialogue basically (laughs) from like uh these like just complete morons in like pitch meetings and stuff um yeah it gets really silly it's so silly yeah and even like keanu reeves like trying to fly or neo trying to fly (laughs) and then it doesn't work because he's old and then he just says, not going to happen. <laughs> uh, like that physical comedy of him <laughs> trying to. Mm-hmm. He like does his bend down thing yeah. and like puts his arm up and it's like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Well, we've talked about this movie for almost an hour. We should close up the box. Close it up. Close it up. Now let's close up the box. box.